Hi there, I'm Rory O'Connor, Professor of Health Psychology and a Mental Health Researcher at the University of Glasgow. And I'm Craig, a filmmaker and content creator at MQ Mental Health Research. And welcome to MQ Open Mind, a podcast that brings together lived experience with scientific research to help us to better understand mental health problems. And we hope to do so in a way that is accessible to all. This week we have mental health campaigner and MQ ambassador, Flo Sharman. At four months old, Flo had a life-saving operation which caused her to stay in hospital for several months. At age eight, Flo had a sudden mental breakdown that temporarily caused her to go blind and be paralyzed. Only years later, she discovered that this breakdown was due to the trauma she experienced early in life. In this episode, we discuss the impact of trauma on mental health, finding the correct treatment that fits your needs, and how to support young people with mental illness. So welcome to the latest MQ Open Mind podcast. And today, Craig and I are delighted to welcome Flo Sharman. And Flo is a, a mental health campaigner who really all her life has dealt with the challenges of both mental and physical health um, problems. So welcome to the podcast, Flo. Really looking forward to our conversation today. I'm delighted to be here and very much looking forward to our conversation. Welcome in. And we're also, uh, and Craig's obviously doing a quick welcome as well. Sorry, Craig, I <laughs> caught over you there. No, I always realise I never say anything in the beginning, so I'm just, just jumping in. Hi, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> also, huge on behalf of MQ, I, I know you're one of our ambassadors, so thanks a million for all the work you do for MQ in terms of raising awareness and advocacy and so on. So maybe can we just begin, as some people do, obviously in the beginning, um, just reading up about your story. I know you you have, as I mentioned in the intro there, um, really from a very young age, have experienced both physical and mental health problems. Do you want to tell us a bit about maybe the about that? So my family always say that I've used most of my cat's nine lives because I, at the age of four months old, stopped breathing um, and I had to have life-saving surgery um, to stop me basically having apnea and this basically started my whole mental and physical health journey which I now know is lifelong. I had quite an easy after those difficult first four months of my life and a good two months in hospital at Birmingham Children's Hospital my family kind of thought we've gone through this battle, we're not going to have any more challenges. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. I was a slight late developer, walking and stuff, but nothing really major. I went to a wonderful primary school and I remember the day like it was yesterday. I wish I didn't, but it's like if I close my eyes, I can take me right back to that moment. My life completely changed. I was only eight years old, which I think many people are surprised to hear how someone can have a mental breakdown at such a young age and it be so much of a crisis. Um, I went to bed one evening, life was looking good. I was a happy, lucky child, had amazing parents and, you know, was living life to the full and had everything to look forward to and ahead of my life and was living a great childhood. And then one evening I went to bed and in the middle of the night, I woke up paralyzed. I couldn't talk. I was blind. I was hallucinating. It was terrifying. I was so scared, but 
didn't really know what was going on. It was more my mother who was the most scared and terrified of what was happening. And I was rushed into hospital with, at the time, they thought it was a bleed on the brain or a brain infection. But after so many tests, and I remember I was this young eight-year-old girl who had no idea what was going on, had all these doctors and nurses swarming around me doing all these tests and all the tests were coming back normal. And they were like, we have no idea what's going on here, but something is. Um, but they ruled out brain infection, they ruled out bleed on the brain, they ruled out everything. And I stayed in overnight and they said, you'll be absolutely fine. That wasn't the case at all. I, from that very moment, my life changed forever. And I became a mental health sufferer, labeled with four mental illnesses nearly sectioned at a tier four clinic and excluded from my primary school. So yeah, it was a big thing that happened basically overnight. Whoa, I mean, what, what, a, what a journey, what a start. So you woke up paralyzed. So I remember it like fully. I, mm. so I, my whole left side of my body, my arm, my leg were completely paralyzed. I was hallucinating. I thought our sitting room was school. I thought I was in assembly. Um, I didn't think mum was mum. It was the bizarrest feeling ever, but I re, it's so weird because I do remember it so vividly. And I remember going, I'm fine, I'm fine. I don't need to go to hospital. And obviously I really did need to go to hospital. Mm -hmm. And I even remember before it actually happened, me laying out my PE kit for the next day because I loved PE and it was happening the next day. So I always laid my uniform out ready. And I remember doing all that. I remember going to bed and I remember I woke up. It was probably about two o'clock in the morning when it happened. And I went into my mother's room and I said, I'm feeling really weird. And I couldn't talk. So my lip had dropped and I was basically couldn't, speak oh so it was, it was speech paralysis yeah rather, rather than physical paralysis right okay yes. right yeah speech mm -hmm. and my so I couldn't move my left arm I couldn't mm -hmm. move my left leg so obviously my mother was terrified and she rang 909 and we went to hospital but it's so weird because I can remember it was like a light switch had just gone off it was like I went into that hospital being a very happy, lucky, outward-going, very confident young girl. Probably looking back, there was probably a few things at school I always wanted to be with a teacher and I hated being late and I was always a bit worried about if my parents would pick me up on time. Um, so a few little things, but nothing major. And I left that hospital a completely different little girl. You know, 24 hours, my life had changed in an instance. And... You know, we remember the good memories, but we also, our brain is very good at remembering the very difficult mm. times. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I can remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah, so sorry to hear that. I mean, um, but can you tell, so when you're saying, so literally when you, your life changed after that. So in what way, like, do you, do you mean in the immediate days and weeks after leaving hospital? Yes. So from that situation that happened, I became terrified of everything. I was so, and this happened probably in about a six week period. And during that six, it was probably six to eight week period, actually. During that time, I actually left 
the lovely little village primary school I was at because our home was 45 minutes away from that primary school. And um, my parents and doctors thought that maybe I was having these funny paralyzation and blindness and not being able to talk. Um, episodes because I was having a reduced amount of sleep because we had to get up very early to go to school etc yeah but I was still continuing to have the physical health um symptoms as well and they were happening on a very regular basis nearly every other day at one point during this six to eight week period so I moved schools and in hindsight it's a wonderful thing hindsight because that was the worst thing we could have ever done I moved to this school again it was a village primary school um but I started to crumble. It was like this big black hole had opened and it was just getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And it was, it happened so quickly. I came happy-go-lucky young child, terrified of everything, not wanting to leave my home, not wanting to live, thinking everyone's better off without me. Um, and I was actually excluded from that private school I moved to after only about a month of being there because they were ashamed and embarrassed to have a pupil with mental health conditions at that school. Um, and after I'd been excluded, I was then seen by child psychiatrists um, and they diagnosed me with four mental illnesses um, and I was labelled. And it was incredibly difficult because I'd lost my childhood because I'd been excluded from school. I'd been labelled with these four mental illnesses, which were PTSD, OCD, depression, and panic attacks. I now know I will live with those labels for the rest of my life. I was given those labels, not wanting to live and nearly sectioned at a tier four clinic. And I thought, I had no idea what was happening to me. I didn't know at all what these mental illnesses were. Um, and it was it was very scary, not only because of how debilitating my mental illness was and becoming completely housebound it was also I was in a state of complete shock and having no understanding of what was happening to me and why it was happening to me and so what what sort of support or treatment did you get so and so and what was the period between those six or eight weeks where you're really 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 challenging and then I'm getting the diagnosis. Was that all within the six or eight weeks or? No, no, no. Oh, um, I, w I wish it was. No, it took probably around six months to get mm -hmm. those full diagnoses. Um, and it took probably a good year to get the support I really needed. And this is so it's something I'm very passionate about and probably one of the reasons why I became a campaigner, because I think when obviously my mental health crisis started when I was at such a young age and it was quite a while ago now so obviously things have changed a lot but there is so much more that needs to happen surrounding mm -hmm. the support you can get and also how you were treated yeah because I remember going to this child psychiatrist and I remember seeing them and I just didn't gel with them at all and I remember them always saying to me well you've got the same labels as this group of people so we'll treat you exactly the same they mm -hmm. put you in this box and they think well because that handful of people has the same labels as flow then the medication that worked for them and the therapy that worked for them is going to work for flow that's mm -hmm. not the case at all we're all individual and I'm incredibly lucky that I have my amazing wonderful mother and if it wasn't for her I wouldn't be sitting here today who fought to get the right support for me to get the right people that I needed to have to help me on my journey yeah no what do you highlight there and I think Craig's trying to come on as well is 
the importance of that tailored response. And and then, and but I suppose it also re reflects the reality that if you look at the research evidence for for the for evidence based for different treatments or different interventions. I mean, they often don't take into account the sort of what we would describe as sort of that comorbidity or that multimorbidity that you're lots of lots of different symptoms um, at play and obviously lots of conditions and then add to that the sort of physical dimension which we'll talk about as well. But but you but you were saying that, but you did thankfully to the persistence of of your mother um, you did and so what 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 worked in, in terms of support in terms of uh, in the longer term. So for me, I was incredibly lucky to meet this wonderful child um, psychologist and she was life-changing for me. She was amazing. And she basically treated me as me. And what really helped, we just did talking. And it's such a basic thing, but it helped me so much. Having someone that wasn't my family who I could open up to and talk to. And it's really difficult when you're at such a young age mm -hmm. to open up. But she gave me that safe place um, to speak up. And she understood me. And I felt that I was listened to and I was mm -hmm. treated as flow, not just as another handful of people that have yeah. the same labels as me. And that, I think, is crucial. And I also was very lucky to meet one of the only child hypnotherapists at the time in the UK who was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. I, I'm so grateful that I was able to have the support from her and do child hypnotherapy because that was a big um, stepping stone in my recovery, um, mm -hmm. having that hypnotherapy. But it wasn't just, I think, important for me to say is that it wasn't just I had six months to a year of seeing those psychologists and the hypnotherapists and I was a cured person that wasn't the case at all you know I've had to continue to battle I still to this day I still fight those hurdles I still have those mental illnesses so yes I'm so much better than I was and had amazing support and therapy but it's not just been therapy for me that's helped me but I think you know the the point you're making there about um, the nature of the relationships so you find that the clinic the clinical psychologist think the child clinical psychologist and you just connected and I but that really highlights the importance of the sort of therapeutic alliance or the therapeutic relationship and if you look at the evidences for a whole range of psychological treatments it's trying to disentangle what are the active ingredients of that treatment yeah. and of course an important part of that is that relationship and it's just really interesting to hear you talk about I mean, the, you, um, the characteristics of active listening, so, or of good therapeutic relationships, I mean, that sense of validation, feeling heard, I think is so, so important. And, and then just that individual approach is they're speaking to you. What, what is it is about you rather than a label or other people who have similar symptoms? I think. 100%. And I think for me as well, one of the reasons I really connected with this lady is because she, had lived mental health experience herself she'd been through it you know she had had um she had PTSD herself she'd been through child trauma mm -hmm. so she really understood it from her own personal point and that really helped me I thought actually I'm speaking to someone who is doing an amazing job with me and she's been through trauma herself and she's mm -hmm. had a difficult time and she's made it where she is today and that really gave me hope and really gave me you know I can get through this with her help and a lot of other people's help as well oh that's great um and then so 
I understand then you, that for two years then you were housebound. Is that was that at the same period or is that later in life for? No, that was at the same period. So from about eight and a half to ten and a half, I was completely housebound. The only time I left my house was to walk in the fields with my dog. And that was my only time where I felt my mind was free. But if it was like 30 minutes where I was like, could escape my mind and the torment that was happening in my mind. At times, I wouldn't even let my family leave the home because I was so scared of their safety. Um, And it was a long journey and it took a long time a lot of steps for me to become from completely housebound to coming in going out again going out in public but it took a good probably I'd say my worst times were between eight and a half when it all began to probably 13 that was my trickiest time um Mm -hmm. and there was a lot of up and downs I call my journey a real roller coaster ride because there was so many lows um and there were some highs as well but that was probably the most trickiest time being completely Mm -hmm. housebound and I was terrified of everything and I also didn't want to live you know I thought my family and everyone around me was better off without me. Mm. I know it's so sad to hear that but as as we know when I mean why areas of research is in suicide and suicide prevention and, and what you're just highlighting is one of the common themes is that feeling people who are suicidal often feel that they're a burden on loved ones but it's so it's always heartbreaking to hear that especially for somebody so young at you say between your eight, nine, tens when you... When yeah, you... I mean, I used to, if we were in the car, I would always sit in the back of the car and I would try and open the door to jump out the car when the car was moving because I thought that was the easiest thing. That would go through my head every time I got into the car. Mm-hmm. And I was nine years old at this point. There were times that, and I've never actually spoken about this, um, but I feel ready to now. I used to go to bed at the ages of 10 and I hide a knife under my bed because I thought if I do it at night it would be easier and better for my family and I just do it in my bed that's a nine-year-old young girl who's thinking that Mm -hmm. and it was really tough and there's been you know I still have to this day suicidal thoughts especially since my accident which we'll talk about later on you know I still get those thoughts but it's I, I'm only here today because of my incredible mother and I can yep. hand on heart say that and I know how incredibly lucky I am to have had that support and someone there for me because if she wasn't there I, I wouldn't be here today. Great and we're so pleased you're here as well and and, and, and but again your message is a message of hope and I think others listening to this is um, it, it's really important to remember that is that you have got through it and um, yeah. I know you're as you've said you you still have mental health struggles and challenges, of course, but but you've got through that period in your well and before puberty, and that's what's so unusual because usually me- most cases mental health problems are are so rare before puberty. Yeah. Um, but but of course, what you um, were linking it to is your own obviously traumatic experience in hospital, yeah. of course, at such an, an early age. And um, so then, if we move forward then a, a, a bit, then so things through your so you said eight through to 13 was the most difficult period. So what was, so then hopefully getting the help and support was good um, and, and helped you in your journey of your recovery. But then, so through your teens and so mental health was, was much better. Um, I wouldn't say much better. No, I was definitely on a journey of understanding myself, understanding what the labels I've been given meant 
I was so ashamed for so long mm -hmm. to have mental illness. I was so embarrassed by it. I mean, it took me to 16 for me even to be allowed to speak about it out in public because I felt so weird. I felt not normal. Um, I didn't have a normal teenage experience whatsoever. I was homeschooled, so I didn't have, you know, all the friends. I it was yes, my mental health was better, but it was it was tiny little steps. And I think, you know, I look back on my teenage years and think it was very different. It wasn't like any other normal, so mm -hmm. normal teenage life. It was it was very unique to me, and I was starting to understand myself, starting to make a life that I could deal with and could get through each day and actually become positive about life. But it took time, you know, and I think one of my things that really helped me, and it sounds so, you know, it's such a cliche to say, but it was time. It was time to give myself to get not so-called better because you're never cured from mental illness. But I gave myself time to understand myself and to live a life I wanted to live and knew that I wasn't a freak and I wasn't strange and that I shouldn't be ashamed to have mm -hmm. mental health and those labels I was given at such a young age they don't define me they're a small part of what makes me who I am today. Was there a particular moment that made you feel that you was able to talk about it or was it just literally just with time? I would say it was time and actually I know social media gets such a bad you know word lots of times but for me it was actually starting to see well-known people talk about their own mental health struggles and I actually thought there are other people who are suffering and mm -hmm. me having these labels isn't not normal and it isn't weird and it isn't a freak so that really helped me um and actually finding MQ and thought I'm going to share my story to help others because I don't want other people to go through what I went through and actually learning that sharing my story could help others was a big turning point for me in my recovery. Just when you mentioned um, MQ again, so how did you get involved in MQ? So I hit probably 17 and I thought I want to share my story. I want to shout about mental health and mental illness. And when I was looking at all the different charities that possibly I could become an ambassador for and you know, talk about their work. I, there are lots of amazing mental health charities, but for me, the reason I chose MQ is because you're all about research. Mm -hmm. And I know from my own journey, if funding had been in place, when one, when I had my life-saving surgery at four months old, or when I had my mental health crisis at the age of eight and a half, I know my journey would have been very different. And yeah. because when I had that mental health crisis, it took me to the age of 16 for anyone to tell me the reason why you have mental illness and had that mental breakdown is because you had such a traumatic experience at such a young age, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. such a young age and life-saving surgery. Well, if my parents had have known that when I had the mental health crisis and doctors had have known, it could have been, preventions could have been put in place and also there would have been more understanding well Flo possibly may in her childhood or teenage years or adulthood could develop a mental illness because of her traumatic experiences I believe my journey and story would have been very different so that's why I wanted to help MQ and shout about their amazing work because I know from my own personal experience 
how important research is and actually how different my journey could have been if funding was in place for mental illness. Yeah, and also the other point I think you're making as well is the importance of early intervention. Because as we know, most mental health problems, obviously onset over 50%, or it depends which study you look at before you're 18, some of them depending on which research, but many, many by the age of 24 will have the onset um, uh, of mental health problems is there. So we have to do as much early, uh, uh, earlier the better. And I think also that, that the link, yeah, I mean, know the link between, with trauma, but yours, I mean, it means so early and I mean, that traumatic event at eight, I mean, uh, or even in months, well, much younger as well, obviously, but yeah. culminating in what happened then at eight as well is really, really important to make that link. And that's, and I think your story highlights this, it's one health approach is our, our well-being is both physical and, and mental health. And I think we're going to talk later about, I know you've had a really, a really um, awful accident during COVID. And we'll come back to that and the impact of that on your mental health in a wee second. But my understanding, again, reading about you, Flo, is obviously sport is a big part of, has been for your for your mental health. Should you maybe tell us a bit about that and how that's been pretty life-saving for you earlier? Yeah. So I'm incredibly lucky. My family have always been very sporty um, and we've always lived in the beautiful countryside. So always had lovely open fields to kind of run around in and explore. And I, my mum was looking for someone when I was at my worst because I was completely housebound, someone that could teach me a new skill and a new new thing to get my mind occupied on something and she found this incredible yoga teacher and that became my savior I did yoga in the fields and we did super long walks as well and sport I go back to time and time again for me it can be yoga it can be pilates it can be sprinting it can be a really long hike it gives me so much just being outside gives mm -hmm. me so much but sport I know it will always save me time and time again and that's been you know that's always been the case since since my mental health journey began right up until now and I know will continue to save me on many more roller coasters that will happen in my life I'm sure no, that's, that's great to hear great to hear and so maybe um thinking forward now to where you are now and um, so how you, so is it still sport? Obviously it's part of um, managing your mental health still, but I know that, um, as I just mentioned a second ago about you had an accident during COVID. Do you want to tell us about that and how that's impacted on your, on your mental health? Yeah, so I have always ridden horses um, and been very lucky to have ponies growing up. And I had been put on furlough um, from my marketing job during COVID. And I started helping out at the yard that my horse was um, liveried at. And I rode this horse and had a very freak accident in the field. Um, and having that accident has completely changed my life once again. I now can't ride at all and during the it was July 2020 when it happened so it was in the height of COVID I was in hospital all alone I was told that I was one centimeter off being paralyzed on my spine um so hearing all these things and being told you're not going to be able to ride again and your life is going to be very different 
was very challenging and mm. I became rather depressed um during summer 2020 um because basically something that has been one of my saviors in my mental health journey and during my mental health crisis was taken away from me I couldn't do a thing I loved I couldn't do any walking or any fitness for 12 weeks when that's been something that you've always been able mm -hmm. to do and you know helps your mental health so much and has saved me so much that taken away from you in a split second is really really difficult and unfortunately the accident has caused me to have start having seizures and I had a head injury um so my mental health really dipped again um during summer 2020 and it's it's getting better but there are still a lot of physical health challenges that I'm having to deal with after that accident and I think you know for me without mental health there is no physical health I think they're so so connected yeah. like they say you know they need to be treated equally and they need to be looked at the same way because I that accident that physical health accident who has damaged my spine and my back I'm very lucky to be walking still but um it's also damaged my mental health as well and mm -hmm. it's made me spiral and my depressed thoughts have come back again um and that's all down to the accident and then, but you were saying, I think um, that I mean that sounds awful, truly awful, and but great that, um, oh my God, um, you're saying you're you're one centimeter away from paralysis, my oh, or broken spine or whatever. That's just um, it's so scary to think about that. But so so then, given that sport or exercise was such an important part of your mental health, or in terms of keeping yourself mentally healthy or healthier. So yeah. how have you, or what have, what have you had to change then, which is to try and, I don't know, make up for the fact you can't do the horse riding now, or you can't, well, you can still walk and, and, and so on, but you can't do the horse riding. Yeah, so um, I'm very lucky to still have my horse. He's fully retired now. So just being with him really helps me. Um, I can still do lovely long walks. Um, and I kind of just had to channel my inner strength to keep fighting, to keep going and know that this will pass and that I'm not, you know, at the moment I can't do yoga because my balance is so bad, but I just have to remember, well, there's so many things when I was younger that I couldn't do. And now I can do and get through. So I know I just have to keep fighting and strong. And I've just been kind of trying to do other sport things and doing lots more long walks and doing more. And um, I used to love doing very high intense training in the gym and strength training. I now can't do that at the moment. So I've just channeled it into doing light Pilates and stuff like that and trying to work with, with my body and what's going to help me but I know I need to do something active and fitness related sport because it's what helps me with my mental health and if I don't look after that then things will spiral even worse yeah yeah um then just well it, I mean it's great to see that um but well obviously I mean in the midst of the COVID-19 you're up an absolutely hellish time and things are have got better, which is great. But I know you're obviously saying that our, your mental health struggles obviously continue and will continue. But um, but that's that in a way that you've just found a different way of trying to protect your mental health. So can we maybe just on the last few things, just as we sort of um, bring the podcast to a close, we always try and focus in on you've touched on some of the things you want mental health research to do. And so one question we always ask is, well, what's one 
what's the one question? If you had all the money in the world, right? And I know with your experiences, what would you, what would be the one big question you would love us mental health research to tackle? I would absolutely love the question. I When I got this question, I was like, what is it? Because there are so many things, but I think the key thing for me is to understand why can a mental health crisis or breakdown happen so quickly and it can just come out of the blue because we know what caused mine but why did it happen when I was eight why did it happen that one evening I would love to know that and I think for me if I knew why it happened that one evening I think would actually really help me in my recovery so that's one thing that I would love research to look into more is finding why does it happen on one particular evening or, mm-hmm. or, or day and why does it happen so quickly and can change your life in an instant? Yeah, because I mean, that's an interesting question because in, in one way you could argue that the journey to your initial me- your mental health crisis at eight was a long journey from mm-hmm. early months. Obviously that trauma then taking time to permeate or whatever impact it had. But, yeah. if, but you're right, but then, but then on another level it was really immediate in the, yeah. that moment when you're when you're eight so it's that's a, I mean, it's a great question and it's a really important one to try to address and i don't think we we don't know the answer i don't think about because there's some go to um physics and there's a big there's a whole thing about um sort of that the, there are these tipping points and and I'm, I'm, and that's been initially applied in the context of physics tipping points are a, a catastrophe theory and things and it's this idea then that we all, they're all different tipping points and there's lots of factors come to play in those tipping points and yes. so that in a way it's not like just it goes that risk increases in a sort of linear way but sometimes it may increase in a linear, linear way but then there's this mm. catastrophe this tipping point and in your case it happened when you were eight initially yeah and then and then it's that recovery it's just that the new what's the new um parameters that our health then take on and so yeah so I think and that's so I think we need to try and understand those sorts of I know that sounds a wee bit technical and not that interesting but but it's trying to help us understand why that key question of why mental health crises seem to come out of the blue for some people yeah other people they they don't and I think that's I think that's a really important one but it's supposed to once again highlights the importance of taking these individual approaches but then in terms of the way science works, in terms of the way we develop um, treatments, you're trying to look at what are the common features. So we're always trying to find that balance between common um, features or common mechanisms, which can explain, in this case, a mental health health crisis, but also you want to do the individual as well. So it is really, it's often, so in this sort of science literature, we talk about the sort of ideographic meets the nomothetic. Mm-hmm. Would be the two terms and and that and you're trying to have both of those yeah. um and it is it is really really difficult now you're reflecting on i suppose your journey and um like and you and you you obviously decided mq is an important charity you really want to focus on the research but can you on reflecting on the last 20 years more or less or mm-hmm. almost 20 years yeah. <laughs> of um of of your life so have you seen marked changes in terms of attitudes towards mental health and maybe the importance of mental health research how, how do you see things in that respect i i think there's been a huge change of how mental health is spoken about and you know i don't think 
people are as ashamed as they used to be and I think the stigma is reducing but I think from when my mental health crisis started to now there has never near been the change that I would have liked to see in how mental health research is funded the what is you know I, I'm a big believer in prevention and there is so much more work that needs to be done in schools. When I, I do a lot of talks in schools and I think actually it hasn't really changed that much from when I was excluded. And, you know, children, they're the next generation. We need to be mental health work needs to be done so much more and so much more needs to happen. You know, talking is great. It was, a, was one of my mm -hmm. saviors, but we need to start doing things about research, about what's going to help lots of people in different areas and through different walks of life. And also, I lots have changed and I'm delighted that the stigma is reducing and people are talking about it more, but I would have liked to have seen a lot more change happen than what I have seen. And I hope in the next 10 years, funding is so much greater for mental health because it's just as important as physical health. If you look at the statistics surrounding physical health research to mental health, it's it's shocking and it needs to change. It truly is shocking and remains shocking. Sorry, Craig, you're trying to come in there. In your opinion, what could someone do to support a child with a mental health issue? I think for me, it's being a listening ear. And I know it sounds so simple and so basic, but it was what saved my life having a mother who I knew I could go to and speak to and open up to and know she was going to be proud of me she was going to support me and get the help I needed was what I really needed at that time and it's something so simple but I urge all parents to one start talking about mental health and mental illness with your children as young as possible so they have a greater understanding and two ask your child twice are you really okay? And make those conversations a daily occurrence um, mm -hmm. and make mental health something you talk about just like you do physical health. I think those are the key things for me. Yeah, I think they're, they're two really great points. And I think especially that ask twice, always ask twice so that you get beyond the, are you okay? Yes, I'm okay. But then if you push again, you might get to maybe what's going on for the person. I have two last questions for you um, to bring it to an end flow. One is, so with your mental health advocacy hat on, what are you hoping to achieve in the next five years? I would love to do get um, much more education surrounding mental health in schools. That's my biggest thing. I want children to have a greater understanding surrounding mental health and mental illness. That's one of my key reasons why I started sharing my story because I don't want anyone else to lose their childhood like I did because mm -hmm. of my mental illnesses. So I'd love to see a lot more work done in schools and I hope to do many more talks sharing my story in schools to inspire the next generation and show how important mental health is. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. And then just one last question, just again, trying to end on a sort of upbeat note and <laughs> your inspirational notes there are, are great. But the last one we ask all our guests is to try and think about, so what advice would you give your your 15 or 16 year old self looking back now a few years that is a very very good question and I think for me it would be know that everything will be okay even in the darkest time the light will shine again um and 
you will get through life and you will have some amazing days and positive days. And I never thought that I would be doing the job I do now and have an amazing partner. Like I could have never dreamt that. And I'm standing living proof that I am here today. And I think just always believe that even in the darkest hole, there will be a flicker of light and you've just got to keep hold of that. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. No, that's such a brilliant way to end. And uh, always believe, I like that. Good, two, two good words. Um, always believe is a great way to end. So on behalf of, of Craig and I and MQ, thanks for your ambassad- ambassadorial role, if I can get the word out correctly, and also and, and for sharing your story and continuing to share your story, which is inspirational and, and really will contribute to that tackling stigma. And hopefully we will we'll move some distance in the next few years in having more of an equal investment in mental health and physical health research. We are going in the right direction, but we still have quite a way to go. So huge thanks from both of us, Flo. Thanks a million and have a great day. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Thank you. MQ Open Mind is presented by MQ Mental Health Research, the only organization that exclusively invests into scientific research around mental health. Our vision is to create a world where mental illnesses are understood, effectively treated, and one day prevented. Please leave us a review and let us know what you think about the podcast. Each review helps us reach a wider audience. Visit mqmentalhealth.org to learn more about MQ and mental health research.